Our reading uh, comes from Romans, chapter 8, and we're beginning at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Thank you, Tim. So we've uh, started a series looking at the titles of Jesus, and this evening we consider Jesus as the image of God. The Apostle Paul writes of Jesus in Colossians chapter 1, he is the image of the invisible God. So what does this title or description of Jesus mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be the image of God? Well, so if we read our scriptures, we find much about this uh, idea of the image of God, or being made in the image of God, or, or the notion of images and what God thinks about them. Now, to begin with, let's put it in a nutshell. When the Apostle Paul speaks of Jesus being the image of God, he is saying that Jesus Christ is the full, comprehensive, ultimate revelation of God for us. In Jesus, God is revealed to us. The Father God reveals himself to us through the Son Jesus. Now, before Jesus' incarnation, his becoming flesh, you could say God fleshed out 
for us, God revealed himself in part. These times are known as theophanies. For example, a fiery bush, a cloud, an angel. Here is God revealing himself to people in tangible but temporary ways. But they could not fully depict God's person or character. And of course, it's always been humankind, uh, human, uh, uh, the desire of humans to uh, see God. If we remember Moses cried out to God, show me your glory. But because no one could look at the full display of God's glory and live, God showed Moses only a, a portion of his glory. However, in Christ Jesus, he is fully revealed, shown, unveiled, imaged for us. Now the word image that Paul uses in Colossians is icon, E-I-K-O-N in Greek, which means an exact representation and revelation. It was used of an, an idol or a picture or a statue uh, as a likeness of, or a representation of the personal thing it's portraying. Think back a few years to the fall of Saddam Hussein. The people pulled down that massive statue of him and hit it with their sandals. Well, of course, it represented the man that they could not hit with their sandals. Or the statues in North Korea and also the portraits that, that are to be hung in every home in a prominent place by law of uh, the former leaders Kim Jong-il and Kim Il-sung which are fearfully bowed down before as gods of deliverance. In other words, images represent and reveal. We'll come back to that in a moment. <clears throat> but who or what could represent and reveal an invisible, almighty God to humankind. See, God spoke to his people about the danger of making for themselves images or borrowing images from others that sought to represent God, because instead they would simply replace the one true God because they were not worthy images. Such images and imagery were in fact prohibited. In Leviticus, do not set up an image for yourselves to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. And when they entered the Promised Land, they were to be careful not to be ensnared by the images of false deities. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, the images of their gods you are to burn in the fire. Do not cover the silver and gold on them and do not take it for yourselves, or you will be ensnared by it, for it's detestable to the Lord your God. In fact, it seems that they disobediently carried with them images and idols all the way back from their days of slavery in Egypt, for the prophet Ezekiel later on reminded God's people of the words that God spoke to them. In chapter 20, And I said to them, each of you get rid of the vile images you have set your eyes on and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See, God cared 
for his people. He wanted them to know him and be in relationship with him, not to be carried away or destroyed by false gods. He reminded them through psalmists in Psalm 97, all who worship images are put to shame. And in Isaiah 42, and through uh, uh, the images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. And in fact, he pointed out the stupidity of their idolatry in Psalm 106. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull, which eats grass. Paul wrote about, in Romans chapter 1, how they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. In Acts chapter 17, we hear uh, that we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In other words, there was no image that could fully, comprehensively, properly, accurately convey God to human beings to communicate divinity to humanity. Such attempts would be at best limited and at worst destructive. God, through Isaiah, uh, questions, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? So God chose his own ways to reveal himself, but ultimately chose his own image in Christ Jesus to convey himself fully and accurately. So Jesus is the image of God. Well, let's look at that Greek word again, icon, meaning to be like or mirror-like representation. It is the sense in the Greek of something that is very close in resemblance, like a high-definition projection. An icon directly corresponds to and exactly reflects its source. In fact, it's, of course, the word from which we derive our English word, icon. Uh, we use that today in, in a variety of ways. Uh, religious relics or pictures used in Orthodox churches or even people raised up and admired in culture that represent a value or an ideal. Greta Thunberg as an eco-icon, or Mandela as an icon of freedom uh, from oppression, or a fashion icon, or a pop icon. In fact, the word is used a few times in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 22, of Caesar's portrait on a coin, his image. And therefore, authority stamped upon this round piece of metal that gave it worth beyond its intrinsic value. It's also found in Revelation 13. 
Commentators about this uh, word say that icon assumes a prototype which is not merely uh, resembles but from which it is drawn and it's more than a shadow, rather it's a replication. Let's, when we think of the word image in our everyday use, we use it in capturing uh, a person in, in a photo, or things in a photo, we, we look at their uh, image on the screen, uh, on our phone. Uh, when we point at a picture and see the image captured, we, we don't say, this is a picture of, we say, this is my grandchild, or this is my friend, or this is the house I used to live in, or this is the car I used to have. So what does Paul mean to infer by Christ that saying he is the image of God? Is Jesus simply showing us what God looks like, or what God is like? Is it that seeing Jesus and who he is and what he's like, what he said, what he taught, what he did, just shows us something of God? Well, yes and no. Let's consider two things. Firstly, it's through Christ that we see and learn about the characteristics of God. See, Scripture teaches that God is spirit, he doesn't have flesh and blood, he can't be seen, he's invisible. So we have a problem. How can people see God? How can we encounter and experience this God? Well, in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can see God. We can know him more as we spend time with Christ by his Spirit. John said, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Christ made God known to those who heard him, saw him, touched him, ate with him, laughed and cried with him. And this is making known more than simply head knowledge. See, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God for ourselves. Do you know God for yourself? Are you in a living relationship with him? Or is your relationship with him simply head knowledge? See, simple head knowledge about, about God or about Jesus is not saving knowledge. See, I can know that a train will get me from Horsham to London, Victoria, but if I don't get on it, then I won't get to London. I stay on that platform in Horsham. Or put it another way, I know about the Queen, but I don't know the Queen for myself. In fact, uh, only those closest and nearest to her could ever say that they know the Queen in some way. See, I want each one of us to truly know God. To go beyond, if we've only got a head knowledge alone, and move it to a heart knowledge. To be in that living, loving relationship with our living, loving Heavenly Father through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, by His Spirit. See, He makes the Father God known to us today. Jesus said to His disciples, Don't you know me, Philip? 
Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus was offering a relationship with himself, with the Almighty God, an intimate and close relationship, not a distant one, but one that embraces, one that comforts, one where we can call God Father and we can be his child. Seeing Christ, God was made manifest in ways that had never clearly been seen before in the Old Testament. In Christ Jesus, the Father, was brought into sharp focus and could be seen and related to intimately. So in what ways did Christ uniquely demonstrate God the Father when he came to the earth? Well, one way is through his teachings. Jesus said to his disciple, Philip, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus claimed to say only what God was saying. And again, he says, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. And the Apostle John refers to Jesus in this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When John refers to Jesus as the Word, the Logos of God, he is expressing that Jesus is that powerful, creative expression of God. God's Word is not simply talk, but action. It's together. It's words and actions together, carrying that full weight and authority, that capacity of power, of action. A bit like when the captain of the ship says, make it so, so it's done. Or the commanding officer says to his servant, do this, and he does it. Christ Jesus, in his talking, in his walking, gave full expression of God. This is what God sounds like, looks like, when fleshed out for us, when translated into our own language, with a human body and mouth and thoughts and emotions and will and spirit. So as we look to Jesus, when Jesus taught us to forgive others, he forgave others and shows us what forgiveness looks like, tough forgiveness. When Jesus calls us to, uh, commands us to love our enemy and pray for them, he fleshes it out for us so that in, in, in the most extreme way we could ever imagine, so that there's no room for question with our comparatively petty struggles with people, we must love them also. When Jesus taught that hate was the equivalent to murder, that looking at a woman lustfully was the equivalent to adultery, we hear the very words and heart of God. In these words we find a standard that is higher than our own, because they come from our Father in heaven. If we want to know what it is to live life to the full, how to do what is good, how to avoid what is wrong, how to parent, how to be a loving spouse, how to be saved, how to make tough decisions, how to face that daily struggle, let's look to and listen to Jesus. It's all there for us in the scriptures. And Jesus 
spend time with us by his spirit. Read our Bible. Read your Bible daily. Twice daily. Three times daily. Why put a restriction on how much you read your Bible? Get the word of God into you. As though it costs all you have. Get it. Get wisdom. Write it on your door frames, on your fridge, above the toilet bowl, next to the kettle. Wherever you're going to see it, devour the Word of God, which presents Jesus to us. The image of God. God fleshed out for us. God represented in reality. And Christ not only uh, shows God through his teaching, but also through his person. He revealed many character traits not fully known about God before. His attitudes, his actions. And there are many, but I don't have time to speak of them all. I'll just pick one that may come as a surprise. It certainly came as a surprise to those who were with Jesus. See, God is a servant. The almighty creator, king, who rules over all, serves. The Apostle Paul said about Christ, who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus Christ did not become God. The Son always was God, always was, is and will be God. The Son of God became fully a man, so much so he was titled the Son of Man, yet he remained fully God. He retained his divinity in the midst of his humanity. And in Christ Jesus, divinity and humanity are united. His very being was human and divine, God as man. His outward expression as man was of who he always was as God. And so astonishingly, it's the same with his servanthood. God has always been a servant. But in Christ's incarnation, he demonstrates that outwardly. Jesus was the, could say, prototype of a servant. Not only did he serve God, but he served us. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, in the Incarnation, Jesus revealed God as servant. We serve a servant God. It's an incredible concept that we wouldn't have ever understood without Jesus. God wraps the towel of a slave round his waist, gets on his knees, stooping so, so low, and washes the filthy feet of those who would betray him, turn their backs on him, deny him, run away from him. Peter initially refused God as servant. So mind-blowing and yet humbling, you will never wash my feet. And yet God's humility strikes a death blow to our pride. We need to be willing 
to accept God serving us with salvation through Christ's death upon that cross, we need to each submit our pride every single moment of the day before his humility. We need to admit, God only you can save me, I cannot save myself. And what is even more astonishing, Christ taught that he would serve in the future kingdom. He tells a parable, be dressed, ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Christ Jesus is a paradox. Here are servants faithfully serving their master while he's away for a time. When the master returns, you might expect a thank you or the, the master just to get on with his business, but not this master. This master dresses himself to serve. His servants sit at the table and the master came and waited on them. I find this incredible that God stoops to serve me, not only in salvation, but also in eternity. When Christ returns one day, he rewards his faithful servants, and yet as a master he refreshes and serves his servants. We serve a servant God. This is a mind-blowing concept that wasn't fully revealed until Christ displayed the exact representation of God, the image God for us. I want to say a further thing about what the word image says about Christ. It also conveys the idea of representative. The word image was used of Adam, of course, in the Garden of Eden, as he was made in the image of God. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created the male and female he created them. See, God made Adam to represent God to all of creation, both in governance and in glory. He was called to demonstrate this image by ruling over the earth as God ruled over the heavens. Adam was to represent God by ruling with God's character and holiness. But we know Adam failed to fully and properly represent God because he fell into sin. He exchanged the truth of God for the deception of the devil. So then we have Christ as the last Adam. See, Christ has not failed and he will never fail. He is the perfect representation of everything that God is because he is God. Christ Jesus perfectly reveals the glory of God and the governance or authority of God. In Hebrews chapter 1 we read, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Here is the glory of God revealed through the Son in the acts of creation, incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection and ascension. Christ represents God in having his authority, again in a number of ways, but one I want to highlight, is that Jesus grants <coughs> eternal life to those who come to him. John 17, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. God shows Christ to be the channel through whom salvation comes. He has the authority to grant salvation to you and to me, to those around us, to our loved ones, our neighbours, our work colleagues, to the people of Horsham, to the people of UK, of the world. No other salvation is offered to them except through Christ Jesus. He is the only way. So we need to live our lives as though we believe this is true. Pray for eyes, ears, minds, hearts to be opened to this truth. Pray, pray and pray every day, several times a day, for those you love, for those you live and work and play amongst, who have yet to receive Christ Jesus as their Saviour and Lord, because they have no other hope of avoiding a lost eternity in hell. Let me issue this challenge for the first time this evening, but I might uh, bring it a few times following this evening. If you're willing to take it up, think of three people that you want to come to know Jesus as their friend, saviour and lord, so they don't yet know him. Begin to pray for them, for those three people, for three minutes over the next three months. It's quite a simple thing to remember. Pray for opportunities to speak to them about Jesus. Pray for opportunities to invite them to accompany you along to church on a Sunday or midweek perhaps at Christmas is coming up, it's a great opportunity, or in the New Year, it's a New Year's resolution for them, that they might hear the Gospel of Jesus preached and taught by someone else, or as well as by yourself. Look to the Lord for their salvation, because nothing else matters for that person. Ultimately, they face a lost eternity without Jesus. Only three minutes to pray for three people over the next three months. It's like waiting for your kettle to boil. You could have it as part of a holy habit. Every time you put the kettle on, a cup of tea or coffee, or even the length of a set of adverts on the TV during your favourite programme. Three minutes. Press mute on it. <coughs> And why stop at three? 
If you have faith for more, do four or five or six. For four or five or six people over the next four or five or six months. Pray simply that Jesus will be revealed, that their hearts will be unveiled, that faith will be granted to them, that they might repent from their sin and receive Jesus as Saviour and Lord. You see, you can do far more in prayer than you ever will without. Prayer is where the battle is fought and won. So those of us who know the Father through Jesus the Son, the image of the invisible God, as we've heard, read on our screens this evening, we have unveiled faces, able now to contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. That which comes from the Lord and who is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We're set free through Christ Jesus. And therefore we now have this ministry, each one of us who knows and loves the Lord Jesus, this ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people to God through Christ. So let's not lose heart. If you're a believer, then ensure, as the scriptures say, that you've renounced secret and shameful ways, turn from your sin, trust in him, and that you set forth plainly the truth of the good news about Jesus. No need to use deception or to distort the word of God, to make it say what you think others might want to hear or what you might like it to say to make it a bit more palatable. You see, it's not our job to open the eyes of those who cannot see, or to open the ears of those who cannot hear, or to replace stone hearts, or to free closed minds, or to massage stiff necks. That's the Spirit of God's job. Our job is not to build the church, that's Christ Jesus' job. Our job is to go and make disciples of all nations. Why stop here at the UK? But may we pray and pray and pray and ask the Spirit of God to do his revealing work of unveiling hearts and ears and eyes and minds. See, if our gospel is veiled, then it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory that displays, the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Pray for blind eyes to be opened. You don't need to know how that's going to be done. We don't need to try and work it out or fathom it out. Just pray, pray and pray. For what we preach is not ourselves, it's not you, it's not me, it's not Bright Road Baptist Church, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We are saved to serve.
So may our prayer be for those around and about us. May God, who said, let his light shine out of the darkness, make his light shine in people's hearts, to give them the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Amen. Let's just, before we sing our closing song, just pray. Our God, we want to thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the way in which he shows us our Father. Thank you for unveiling our minds, our eyes. Lord, we thank you for that salvation that has been offered to us and granted us freely. Lord, we want to do the same for others. We want others to know this salvation for themselves. So we cry out to, our, cry out to you, use us in whatever way you deem fit. And we, we know, Lord, we're mixed in what we can do and where we can go, but we know that we can pray. So enable us to pray and pray and pray. Enable us to bring people before you, those that you put red rings around, those that you highlight for us in our hearts and minds, even as I've spoken this evening, those that we love, those that we see day by day, that we would long for them to come to know you for themselves. So Lord, we pray for them even now. And we ask that this might be something of the beginning of their journey uh, towards you. And Lord, dare we ask that you might reveal more of yourself to us. Unveil more and more. We don't want to stop where we are now. We want to keep getting closer to you. Open our eyes wider and wider. In Jesus' name, Amen.